But Moses said to God, Who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I'll be with you, and this will show you that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back here and worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I now come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they are going to ask me, What's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God continued, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how all generations will remember me. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm your lead pastor here at Zal. I've got my trans shirt on, which is how you know we're going to be extra queer today. We're in the middle of a series called Lies I Heard in Church, where we are debunking some of the lies that have pervaded our religious spaces. And we've worked our way through quite a few lies about the Bible having some sort of black and white clarity, lies about queerness and sexuality, lies about whether Jesus was white. We feel like we definitively got that one down last week, right? Jesus is not white. Uh, Jesus was a brown-skinned Palestinian Jewish person um, who stands with the marginalized and is therefore embodying blackness, um, as in the theology of James Cone. And today, today we are taking on one of the lies that is shaping our legislatures a little too much these days, the lie that trans people aren't real. Now, as a trans person myself, I find this one easy to debunk. But somehow my existence doesn't quell the, the throngs of people who are getting really worked up about me and people like me. How many of us have heard in specifically religious and church spaces that there are only two genders? A lot of us have heard this lie. And in fact, so many of us have heard this lie directly and indirectly that we didn't really necessarily need to hear it from the front, right? A lot of our talk about sexuality and queerness starts to chip away that the ideas around being queer in your sexuality, these things are not acceptable in the church in part because they really erode strict gender roles, which is essential to purity culture, which is essential to hierarchy in the church. The ways, the many and various ways that figures of authority and dominance have controlled our bodies shows up in our conversations about queerness, transness, sexuality, bodies, identity, gender. But it seems so clear to so many of the church folk there are only two genders, male and female, God created them, right? Well, let's, let's revisit that part. I'm just going to grab... I left my Bible here, which is handy. Um, all right, we're going to start at the beginning, Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, we've got this beautiful creation story. 
God, uh, this is our first of a couple of creation stories, so just if we needed more of a reminder that this is one way to tell the story, even the biblical writers wanted to tell that story in many and different ways. And so there are many different ways to talk about this. But the first way that our scriptures have to talk about the creation of things is this God who is so powerful that in the midst of the chaos and the swirling waters, whatever it was that was before what is, God shows up on the scene and brings order to it. And, And God goes through and piece by piece puts things into place, right? So the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea. And God said, let there be light. And this is like the greatest like introduction to a main character I've ever read, <laughs> right? So like, God, let there be light. Yeah, so we've got this powerful, cool, creative God who can just like burst things into being. And, and God is like really doing a great job. And since no one else is there yet to be like, God, that was really good, God handles it themselves. They're like, God, that was really good. <laughs> Ooh, I like that light. Yeah, let's do some more. All right, so God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness and named them day and night. That was evening and morning the first day. And it goes on, and we have this, like, epic, beautiful story. God is creating a dome in the middle of the waters. A dome. And here we have our early Hebrew cosmology, our understanding of the, of the building blocks of the universe, which is the earth, when the seas, and a big dome above which are these waters that would crash down upon us if only God hadn't put a dome in place to hold them there. That is Genesis 1's understanding of creation and cosmology. And so what we have here is not what we would understand to be science or astronomy or physics we have truth. The truth of a God who shows up on the scene with power and grace. The truth of a God who is so creative that from their very being, they create all that is. They put order to it. They give names to it. And they celebrate it without reservation. How many of us, when we make something, can look back and without any shame or reservation be like, I did a really good job? (laughs) God can. God does. There is no shame in God's self-affirmation of the beauty and glory of creation. God makes beautiful things and looks at each part of creation and says, Ooh, I did good. I did good with you. You are so beautiful. And in this story, in this telling, we have these parts of God amplified, the creative, powerful aspects of God. And we have this great contrast. There is day and there is night. There are the waters and there is the dome and the land. And over the course of the story, we have more things coming into place. The naming of the dry land is earth, gathering of the waters and calling it the sea. God continues to see how good it is. And says, let the earth grow plant life. So plants come on next. And then animals. And finally, the finishing touch, God's favorite part, humanity. And God says, let us make them in our image. Now that's not me being cute with pronouns here. 
This is what the scriptures say. It translates to that plural. Let us make humanity in our image. And so God is identifying God's own plurality in that statement, in the scriptures, indisputable on the page. And the scriptures then say, God created them, male and female, God created them. And so you might think, especially if you've grown up in Western American Christianity, that, that I would be really devastated by that line, male and female, God created them. That, that would feel like a real bummer to me as a non-binary person. That that would feel like, ooh, book closed, there are no trans people. Except that when I look at this beautiful poetry, this story of how God brought all things into being, I don't look at the moment that God made the day and the night and go, well, I was wrong about sunsets. <laughs> they don't exist. They just must not be there. It's a conspiracy. The same people who put the dinosaur bones have created these false sunsets in the sky. Because I understand, as did the people who were writing down these eternal truths, that God's bigness, God's expansiveness, God's drama of contrast and power does not preclude nuance. Nuance wasn't the point of the God who bursts onto the scene and says, let there be light. But that doesn't mean that our big queer God, who is full of drama and power, doesn't also contain multiplicity and nuance. All features of God's creation are a reflection of God. And so we can find the big drama of high noon or the big drama of a dark, starry night. But we also experience the beautiful nuance of twilight, of sunsets and sunrises. We understand the joy of the vast open seas. We understand the stability of the ground beneath us. But that doesn't mean we pretend there is no shoreline. There is no beach. There is nothing in between. We have a God of mystery and power. And mystery feels like some of the greatest power God has over us. Something so beyond our capacities that we have to trust God. That in that mystery, in whatever is beyond our understanding, is still good. And that is terrifying. To trust that the things beyond our comprehension are still for us. And with us. And love us. But God's complexity, though it may be overwhelming to us, is just a part of God's beauty, and so is the complexity of all of God's creation. Transness is a complexity to the human experience of gender that feels so overwhelming to many people, especially those for whom the safety of a binary, the I know who I am and who you are, that safety that is contained in so many of our hierarchical institutions. We talk sometimes at Zao among our leadership about role clarity. When you're in an organization, when you're in a family, when you're in a body, knowing who you are to everyone, knowing what your role is can be really, really grounding. I know how I contribute. I know what the boundaries are on what's expected of me. And it is my belief 
that the sins of humanity, the sins of especially Western Christianity around gender performance and purity come originally from that desire for role clarity. I want to know who I am to this community. But that desire can be very easily exploited by people in power who are very ready to come in and tell you exactly who you are and what the boundaries are on what you can and can't do. The idea around the binary is control. The idea of saying we cannot tolerate anything beyond our basic comprehension of these two categories is fundamentally about fear and control. But what is transness? Why is it so threatening? Well, transness in its most basic, transgender identity experience, it is the experience of being assigned a gender at birth that does not align with the, the gender that you are. It's an experience of perception mismatch, most of all. It is being created and yet unseen, unrecognized. It is moving through the world fully in the glory of God you carry inside of yourself and having other folks somehow look past you, see an approximation of who you are, and be too terrified to hold the fullness of your possibility, especially if it goes beyond their current understanding. And given that definition of transness, there is no one more transgender than God. God who is perceived as male. God who is talked about always with those same pronouns. Now sure, when we get into the technicalities, most people, even the most conservative, will tell you that God is beyond gender. That God holds multiplicity. And yet, why do we misgender them so? Why are we only and ever talking about one aspect of who God is? When we import only maleness into our conversations about who God is, we misperceive them. We miss her fullness. We, out of the fear of our own inability to comprehend the vast mystery of God, narrow her, diminish her, turn her into something more comfortable. And there he is. Some aspect of his Godhood recognized, but not all of it. And here we are, out of our own comfort and ease, just sort of rounding up, rounding down into categories that feel more comfortable for us. Trans people are made in the image of God. They offer, we offer, a different understanding aspect of God's multitude, God's multiplicity. And so, God, who is more than our culture can understand, God still creatively shows up into the scene. And in that way, we as a culture have a lot to learn about God from transgender people, people who exist along those margins of understanding, people whose perceptions of themselves are so much richer than our culture has space for as of right now. But I think the other thing that freaks people out in our culture right now about transness is that it feels new. It feels like this new thing. Anybody heard the term transter? Great. Most of you are not in middle school. 
it's a mashup of trans and trendster, like people who are trans as part of a trend. Now that's the way that the youths are diminishing transness. But what about the term transgenderism? Anybody heard that one? We got some folks out here trying to eradicate transgenderism. It's, it's exporting an experience of humanity into an idea that is a philosophy that can be fought. It's about saying, hey, this is an ideology. Gender ideology is something we have to get rid of. But trans people are a part of God's good creation and always have been. And as we look to different cultures around the world, we see what space has or has not been available for part of God's good creation to reflect the fullness of God's character. This is not a new thing. Trans people have been around since the beginning of time. Trans people have been here as long as shorelines and sunsets. But it is a matter of whether the cultures we exist in hold space for us, celebrate us, or try to eradicate, erase, and diminish us. One of the beautiful examples of a culture that has found a way to honor the multiplicity of gender is the Bugis people of Indonesia. Now, in Bugi culture, there are five recognized genders. Their language offers these five terms, and I I'm going to offer a, a translation rather than a mispronunciation of those five. And this is an approximation. But they have a term that would approximately equate to female woman, a term for male men, a term for male women, a term for female men, and the term bisu, which is the title for their transgender priests. Now, all of the cultural conversation around gender among the Bugi people is about how genders need to be held in community. That if one gender or more were to be cut off, that there would be an imbalance. And in fact, this is reflected in the religious and spiritual traditions of this place. The Bisu, transgender priests, are considered uniquely qualified to lead because as people who embody both maleness and femaleness, manness and womanness, they are understood to be able to communicate with God in a way that other folks are not. They say once you become a man or a woman, you can no longer hear the voice of God in the same way. And so we need those folks who contain that multiplicity to be designated, honored, and offered an opportunity to dedicate their lives to listening to God and speaking God's truth to the rest of the community. Now, these folks were so powerful. These spiritual trans religious leaders were so powerful that when Christian missionaries came in to try and colonize, there were actually competing missionaries at the time. There were Christian missionaries and Muslim missionaries trying to colonize, trying to bring their religious uh, practices. And the Christian missionaries were really confident because they were like, you guys eat a lot of pork. Um, I don't think you're going to like being Muslim. <laughs> 
I'm not making that up. That's not a joke. It's legitimately in journals from like the 1800s. These Christian missionaries being like, listen, we come with bacon, so we got this in the bag. But what they didn't do was understand how important the Bisu leadership was to the culture. And the Christian missionaries did not win over the Bisu priests. And the Muslim missionaries did. And so that area, 150, almost 200 years later, is majority Muslim. Because when the Bisu priests were listening, they felt that their people were aligned more with Islam. The Bisu transgender priests were the most important authorities when it came to the voice and will of God in that time and now. Trans people are not new. And neither is our unique understanding of divinity and spirituality. There is a different perspective that trans people have on the nature of God. And it is a perspective that we have been diminishing, hiding, burying for generations in this culture. How much of God's character, how much of God's nuance are we missing? Are we silencing? And yet, I know I'm not the only trans pastor in this room, much less in our broader culture. We have lots of trans people who are spiritual leaders and mystics. Now, so many of us have been pushed all the way out of the Christian church. Many of us are still fighting our way back in it or through it. But God has brought into being trans people with a unique perspective on God. If you've been around here for a while, you know that I actually believe that about all people. I believe that we only understand who God is in fullness. And that's why spiritual community is so important to me. That the discernment of who God is cannot happen in isolation because God appears to each of us in so many different ways that the only way for us to understand the fullness of God is to be the body. This is where we get from our text, the body of Christ. We understand divinity only so far as we are able to connect to and value one another and one another's perspectives on the divine. I can't know the fullness of God without knowing the fullness of God as God is to you. But when we have a community where some folks have been lifted up, some voices have been so heard and so loud, and some voices have been diminished, have been buried, have been harmed over and over and over again, we need to take special intention. The scriptures even tell us this. It is not the parts of the body that are honored by culture that need more honor, but it is the parts of the body that have been dishonored that the people of God, that the followers of Jesus, Paul is speaking to, need to lift up, need to hold special honor for. How do we especially honor trans people? How do we especially honor those voices who have a unique perspective on who God is, but who have been silenced? And why have we been silenced? Is it random? Is it just discomfort that comes from difference? I don't think so. I want to take you to this passage for today from Exodus. Now, this is a passage where Moses is trying to get himself together. God is sending him to free God's people from enslavement. And Moses is like, 
bro, they are not going to listen to me. <laughs> and God says, just tell them I sent you. And Moses is like, yeah, but like, what do I even call you? And this is where we get God identifying God's own name for the first time. And it is something that we have to do some work to understand because it's not in our shared cultural language. God says, I am who I am, Yahweh. Now, that can feel, you know, a little bit repetitive, a little bit of a tautology there, I am who I am. That could feel like God's kind of being a little sassy. Who do you say I am? Well, I am who I am. Go tell them that. (laughs) Sometimes I feel that way about being trans. (laughs) But there is actually a lot more nuance here. Because in our language, our tenses, our grammar only describes certain set ways of being. But there are some extra nuances in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, one of the ways that language can function is to describe something that is ongoing to describe something that has been happening and will be happening in the future. And it's more than just I am. It's kind of like I am who I was, who I will be. I am who I be. I am who I become. And so we have a God who says I am and I will be. I am and I become. I am and I am so much more than you understand and more than I am right now. We have a God who names themselves in this particular moment, a God who goes by so many different nicknames, a God who is so full of mystery and beyond our comprehension that we have a thousand metaphors for who he is. But when God says, this is my name. She says, I am who I become. And so we have a God who declares by their very identity, I am transition. I am more than I am. I am what I will be. And so there is a kind of permanence there. God goes on to say, this is how you will always know me. It's the God who becomes the God who comes into being, the God who is because God will be. But we have this kind of motion, this kind of change, this kind of transition. And later on, many chapters later, there's a lot of drama in between and a lot of nuance. We have Moses back with God, conversing with God trying to understand how to lead God's people who have now been freed from enslavement. And God is telling Moses who she is and how her people are to live. And one of the main tensions is that while God is saying, hey, here's how you can be good to one another. Here's how you can honor me and all of creation. Here's how we're going to do this. I am who I become and you will become with me. Down the mountain, a bunch of people are like, well, we haven't seen Moses in about five minutes, so we better make a new God. (laughs) And so they cast this golden calf. This golden calf. And this makes Moses so angry that he's like got his stone tablets, you know, Charlton Heston style. (laughs) He's hopping down the mountain. He gets so mad, he's like, you don't deserve these rules, and breaks them. 
and has to go all the way back up for like another month with God to make new tablets. And Moses is like, these people. But what is the sin that they committed? Was it worshiping something other than God? Yes, technically. But what did they choose? They chose something of their own creation that would never change. They chose something stationary and unalive. God says, I am a God of the living. God is a living and becoming being, as is all of creation in, with, and through God. And so what is the sin of not holding the fullness of who God is and who God becomes? It is narrowing, diminishing for a sake of control. This God can never go onto the mountain and talk to Moses instead of me for five minutes. This God can look however I want it to. This God will not change. This God is a God that I can comprehend, that I can see all the dimensions of, that I can fit inside a box of my choosing. The sin of idolatry here is about wanting God to be less than God is. It's about saying, mystery is too much for me. I can only love a God that I can touch and measure. And God says, I'm so much more than you will let me be. Let me be who I am. You asked who I was. I am who I am. Trans people understand this experience of God. And our job, our responsibility to one another as followers of Jesus, as worshipers of Yahweh, is to strive always to hold more and greater space. What is the mystery that God holds that is beyond our comprehension that we put our trust in because it is still good and for us and loves us? What is the mystery held in each being in our community that may be beyond our comprehension, that is good and holy and holds a kind of truth that we need. Trans people are real. Trans people are holy. And trans people are good. Now we are seeing in our culture that fear, that control play out in our legislatures. Trying to control people. Now they came first for trans adults like eight years ago. They tried to ban us from bathrooms. In North Carolina, there was a big backlash. A lot of people were like, well, that's just petty. That's ridiculous. And so that went underground. And so the folks searching for control, trying to narrow, trying to keep us in that box, trying to make God into a golden calf, said, we'll try again and we'll come this time for the kids. Everyone's always worried about the kids. Exactly. They've done this before. And so they started drafting legislation, going into public spaces to have conversation, raising panic about children. Well, guess what? Trans children are real too. And when we talk about let kids be kids, the all I can think is let trans, be, trans kids be trans kids. Let queer kids be queer kids. We are telling them that they will not be alive and safe unless they make themselves less unless they diminish themselves for us, unless they make themselves into something controllable, holdable, containable, measurable, unless they tamp down their mystery and pretend it isn't there, which we know 
kills them, kills us. And so, what is our responsibility as followers of Jesus, as people of faith? We have to fight for one another. When trans kids are under attack, what do we do? When trans kids are under attack, what do we do? When trans kids are under attack, what do we do? This is our responsibility to one another, to God's good creation, and to the God whose mystery deserves honor. If we want to worship the God of the universe, the God of the drama, the God who brings the light, then we cannot diminish her. We cannot put them into something more containable. We cannot lock them away in idols or binaries of our own creation. We worship a full and beautiful and glorious God. We must protect the ways they show up in this world. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we are sometimes a fearful people, but we are also brave, made in your brave and beautiful image. God, you contain mystery and multitude, and therefore we in your image do as well. God, may we see and honor and hold the mystery of your love along with the mystery of your people. May we embrace the multitude of expressions of gender and identity in your good creation. May we protect one another, protect the vulnerable from those threats of diminishing, from those things that take life away. God, you are a God of the living. May we be a living people protecting the fullness of life. Amen.